It was fantastic. So chapter 4, we're reading from verse 2 through to verse 9. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So if you want to keep that passage open, we'll be referring to it quite closely this morning. Let's pray, shall we, as we come and look at God's word together. Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to do a work amongst us this morning as we look at these words. Would you bring illumination to these words into our hearts, would you open us so that we will receive what it is you want to say to us this morning. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to let our guards down in front of you today. Help us to bring our reality into your presence. Lord, we know how easy it is to sort of hide behind the look that we put on our face and say that everything is okay, when actually underneath we may be this morning suffering from anxiety in so many different ways. So Lord, would you, would you touch us, would you open us to your spirit today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. A friend of mine told me a story the other week. Now, this is not true. You need to remember this is a story. You'll see why as I go on. The story went like this. There was uh, a bloke, and he was about to do his A-levels, and he, he was doing really well at college, but he had this niggling feeling in the back of his brain that something was going to go wrong. But anyway, he sat his exams, he did really, really well, he got full marks, top A's, all the way through his A-levels, went to a great university, but still he had this niggling feeling that something was going to go drastically wrong. Came out of university, got a first, went and got the best job he could possibly get, but still... He had the feeling, come on, you can feed it back to me, that something was going to go wrong. Life carried on. He got married. He married the most wonderful girl he'd ever met, the girl of his dreams. But still, he had the feeling that something was going to go wrong. Life carried on. Children came. He um, grew in his career. Things were going brilliantly well, but still, he had this feeling that something was going to go wrong. He eventually retired and had the most amazing pension. I told you it was a story. (laughs) And he was doing really well. He was still healthy, and him and his wife and his, his children and now his grandchildren were enjoying their lives. But still, he had the feeling that something terrible was going to go wrong. 
He carried on, still in good health, well into his 90s, two days before his 100th birthday, with his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, his friends, all gathered round his bedside. He knew this was the end. He laid there, looked up and said, told you so, and died. Now, that's a bit of a caricature, isn't it, of a person's existence. But you know, we are anxious as a species, aren't we? As human beings, we live with anxiety. We know that our life will come to an end. And we know that off our own back, we cannot do anything about it. Off our own back, we cannot do anything about it. Well, Paul, in these verses that we're looking at this morning, he's doing several things. He's starting to round off this great letter to the Philippian church. And he starts off by appealing for unity in a particular situation. But the main thing that I want us to look at this morning is is not this first section, but but the slightly bigger section about anxiety and about rejoicing in the Lord. But let's just quickly skip, um, have a look at verses 1 and 3. You know, we're reminded here, verses 1 to 3, that this is a letter that Paul is, is writing to real people. And we hear about two ladies who seem to have fallen out about something, Euodia and Syntyche. We're not told what they've fallen out about. We will never know this side of eternity, what they fell out about. But we know that Paul wants them to be reconciled and that the church has a role to play here. I think it's just a reminder that actually, as a church, unity is so important. You know, if we want to present the gospel to the world, it's so important that we are united in Christ that we're united in the spirit, and we're united in humility. Well, let's move on, shall we? Can we just have the, the PowerPoint on? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Look at verse 4. This word rejoice here has quite a depth of meaning. There is no word in English that really corresponds to the, the, the original word that Paul uses. But the root word for rejoice actually literally means to spin round. It gives a whole new meaning to some of the songs that we sing, doesn't it? You substitute rejoice for spin round. We get this sort of celebratory dance idea for rejoicing. So celebrate and spin round in the Lord. Celebrate in that kind of dancing way. Rejoice in God. But this word here also has a bit of a different meaning to it as well. It also means goodbye at the same time. I told you there's no English equivalent. We can't say spin round, do a celebratory dance, and goodbye in one word. But in Greek you can, and this is the word. This is rejoice. I wonder if you asked your close friends about you, would they say you were a person who was full of rejoicing and delighting? Would they say you were a person full of joy. Not just random joy, but joy in the Lord. Joy because of what Jesus has done. Because, you know, joy is not an optional extra in the Christian life. Joy is not a tag-on to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. At the heart of the Christian faith is a celebration that we have become something new in Christ. Do our faces display that? Does our lifestyle display that joy. But I think there's a danger that joy gets separated from reality, because joy is not human happiness, and nor is it the fixed grin that we put on and says everything looks like it's okay, but rather it is something deeper and something far more real. I had a week off last week. It was really nice. 
the first full week off I've had in six months. Um, and when I was putting my out of office on, on my email, I have to say I was actually really happy. <laughs> now that is no reflection on the church. I love working here. Please don't hear me wrong. But you know, when you know you're having time off, you know you're going to have time to do all those things that you normally get, don't get time to do. And so there is that sense of just a human emotion of happiness comes over you. And you think, yes, no more emails for eight days. That's a good thing. But that's happiness. But it ends very quickly. And a week later, you wake up and you realize that your inbox is crowded. And there's loads of things that you have to do. And you're back into life. Joy and rejoicing in Christ is not that. It's not something temporary but it's something that is deeper and the sense in delighting who we are being in Christ. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. See how this follows on from being joyful? What Paul is doing is saying, delight, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, know who you are in Christ, and then let your gentleness be evident to all. Have you ever tried being angry and happy at the same time? really difficult. You can't be a person of rejoicing in the Lord and not be a person who starts to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. Your gentleness one of those fruits of the Spirit. So here, rejoicing goes with gentleness. And then we get on to verse 6. Now, up to now, Paul's words, I, I guess if I'm, I'm sort of thinking about them honestly in my own situation... They've been encouraging, they've been great, but they've not really cut me to the heart. They've not sort of pierced me in a way that thinks, what? You know, rejoicing is is something good and positive, but it doesn't deal with reality in the way that what Paul is going to say here suddenly does. I've been clearing um, some of the man's garden up over the last few weeks since the weather has supposedly started to improve as we get near spring. But over December, January time, you know, during when it just rained permanently as against predominantly, um, I would do what I call theoretical gardening. Do you ever do that when you look outside and think, that needs doing? That needs doing? And you have these images in your head of how good the garden's going to look when you've done it all, but actually you haven't done it. And then there comes a point where you think, if that's going to need to be transformed, I'm going to have to get outside. I'm going to have to get the saw out. I'm going to have to get the choppers out, I'm going to have to get the spade out, and I'm going to actually do some hard work. And then you come back in again a few hours later, and you realize how little muscles I actually have, and how much pain there is going on, because I needed to do that sooner rather than later. But actually, it becomes a reality, doesn't it? You go from theory to reality. Rejoicing now has to work itself out in the reality of human experience. Do not be anxious about anything. Rejoicing needs rooting into the depth of the human condition. But what is Paul's tone here? Have you ever received an email or a letter or a text and you're trying to desperately wonder what the tone is that the other person is using? And if you get it wrong, the other person could be really offending you or they could be really happy and you've missed it. What is Paul saying? Is Is he pointing his finger and saying... Do not be anxious about anything. You know, this is a command to you. Do not be anxious about anything. If Paul is doing that, all this will serve to do is to beat us up 
and to make us feel worse and worse about ourselves. I don't think that's what Paul is doing here. You know, somebody once said, um, theology, if you get it wrong, is a really harsh taskmaster. If we read the Bible in the wrong way, it will just make us feel like we're trying to do stuff that we cannot do. I would read this as Paul, the gentle pastor of the church, saying, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but instead look to Jesus. Look at who God is. Look at his faithfulness. Look at his presence. Look at his promises. But it's one of those verses, we've come across them before in Philippians, where we can want some wriggle room. Please, Paul, give me a few get-out clauses. Please, can I be anxious about my work? Please, can I be anxious about my pension? Please, can I be anxious about wearing the same shirt as Darren? Please, can I be anxious about all kinds of different things in life? But you know, actually, we can't stop being anxious on our own. It is something we cannot do. There was an article in The Guardian a a few months back that was talking about some research that the mental health charity Mind had been doing, talking about anxiety in the UK. And they said that a third of the population of the UK will suffer severe anxiety at some point in their life. 20 million people. If you look round in the room here, that's probably 50 or so of us, will experience really serious anxiety at some point in our lives. You know, it's a real issue. For some of us today, you may be in that place where you're suffering really deep-seated anxiety in your life. For others of us, we may be suffering a little bit of anxiety, but it's not to that depth that it may be for others of us. But you know, it's a reality. Anxiety is the reality of the human condition. We can't talk it away. We can't ignore it. We can be anxious in the way that that man was in that silly story at the beginning. You know, just that vague sense that all is not well. Or you may be sat here this morning and you may be anxious about your work, your family, your neighbours, your health, money, the news, the church, your past, your present or your future. And if we're not careful, we become anxious about being anxious. And so we start to spiral and anxiety traps us in. Last year, a friend of ours, um, her mother sadly passed away. But she was a, she was a Christian lady. She lived um, a good long life and died knowing the peace of the Lord in her life. But this lady came to me and said, she said, actually, I feel really angry. She wasn't angry with God. She wasn't angry with her mother for dying. But she was angry with death itself. She was angry that the world isn't as it should be. That we live in a world that is warped by sin. Now, there can be a number of responses to this, can't there? We can look at the world and we can say, oh, well, there's so many things that we can be anxious about. Let's just switch off from it. You know, let's buy ourselves a takeaway. Let's put Netflix on. Let's watch a movie and forget the world. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You know, that kind of way of thinking. Paul offers us a rather different possibility in these verses. Because into our anxiety, Jesus, the conqueror of the grave, the Lord of creation, the victor of sin and death, calls us to follow. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. For Paul, that is the backdrop. That is the sovereignty of God that exists behind us, if you like. Imagine a huge canvas painted that our life can be sort of walked in front of. That canvas is God. It's what the work of the cross and the resurrection is all about. And so what comes next in this verse is incredibly important. Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We don't come and empty anxiety into a void. No, rather, we walk it through with the Lord, through prayer and petition. How do we pray? Very practically, how do we pray? How do we do that? What does it look like? Well, I can only say what it looks like for me. You have to go away and pray this through and think about what it looks like for you. For me, prayer and unloading anxiety onto the Lord often involves walking. I find I do that best when I'm outside, and I can just turn these things over that are that are concerning me and talk it through conversationally with the Lord. In other times, for me, it means going into the quiet place, just the place of solitude. You know, the, when Jesus says, when you go and pray, shut the door, don't let anybody know what you're doing, and just pray to your Father who is unseen. It can mean that. Other times, it may be that you need to bring somebody else into that conversation, you know, a trusted friend, a church leader, possibly a counsellor, and you talk these things through and you pray them through. The Philippians are not commanded to put anxiety on one side. But rather they're told, bring it into the presence of the Lord. Bring it into that place of prayer. Into that place of presence. And walk it through with Jesus. Is that a quick fix? I would suggest not. It may be. You know, sometimes supernaturally God intervenes and he will remove things from our lives. Just like that. I've experienced that. I was talking to somebody before the service who'd seen an amazing answer to prayer this week. We rejoice when that happens. But listen to this. This was an old hymn my grandma used to quote sometimes. If anyone knows it, you can stand up and sing it to us. I don't know the tune, so I can't. It goes like this. Oh, a little talk with Jesus makes it right all right. Anyone know it? Anyone want to sing it to us? No? Okay, I'll keep reading. Little talk with Jesus. Here we go. Thank you, Ralph. Give Ralph a... (laughs) Now, you may think that I've got this totally wrong, but I don't believe that song is biblical. Is it biblical to say you just have a little chat with Jesus and suddenly everything disappears and everything is roses and, you know, like the beautiful flowers here. It's all like that. Suddenly life goes from being full of anxiety to suddenly something totally different. Is that what Paul is saying? Is that our experience of walking life with Jesus? Is that what Jesus means when he says, in this life, you will have trouble? No. I think it's something quite different. Rather, what Paul is saying is bring everything to Jesus. Change the perspective 
of your life. Look and see what the God who can do miracles will do when you start to bring your life in prayer to him. Change of perspective. From walking alone to walking with Jesus. Paul moves on to tells us what will happen if we do that. Because there's promises here. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you notice what Paul doesn't say? He doesn't say that just peace will come to your anxiety. But he says the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. It's something slightly more wide-ranging than perhaps what we may think at first reading. What Paul is talking about here, he's talking about the peace that resides within God himself watching over us. I don't know if you've ever thought that in God's nature there exists perfect peace. Within the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is a relationship of complete peace and wholeness. As human beings, we can't imagine existing like that. We don't exist like that. We live in a world that is fallen and broken and full of sin and decay. But God isn't subject to that. God lives in the complete shalom, if you like, the wholeness of God. And Paul says, God, God's peace, the very nature of who God is, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Well, I came across this quote by a chap called Alec Motier, who is a commentator on Philippians. He says this, What we need today, as in every period of human history, is the touch of the supernatural. Something that cannot be explained except by saying, this is the finger of God. This is what is now promised, a peace which passes all understanding, standing guard over our hearts and minds. You know, we need God, don't we? In the stresses and strains of what it means to be a human being, we need the peace of God to watch over us. Now, Philippi was a garrison city. So the people in the church of Philippi would have been used to seeing soldiers around the city watching, guarding over their everyday lives. What Paul is saying here is using that military language and saying this is what the peace of God will do. It changes our perspective. It allows us to see the whole of our life in light of what God has done in eternity. Does that remove the everyday? Not necessarily, but it totally changes our perspective. Totally changes our perspective. We were walking around Lim Dam a couple of weeks ago, and we were actually walking down by, you know, where the dam wall is there? And if you're a little bit squeamish, you'll have to look away in a moment. Because you may notice a dot there. Sorry, my hand's shaking there. Can you see it? Round there, I'll do it in a circle so you can see. There is a little dot on the path. Now, when you see the big perspective, you don't actually notice it, do you? You'd have no idea what that is. When I zoom in, can you see what it is? Sorry, that was on my phone on my camera. It's not a brilliant resolution. Now, if you're feeling optimistic, you may think, oh, it's an otter. Otters have returned to Lim Dam. It's not an otter. It's a big, nasty, brown rat. Going for its elevenses along the front of Lim Dam. And we stood there, and we watched it wander back and two. 
as it was, I don't know what it was doing, I don't, know, I don't really know what rats get up to, but whatever it was doing, it was having a wander around. You know, sometimes in our life, we face things that are a bit like that rat, things that are unpleasant, things that we'd rather not deal with, things that we'd rather not acknowledge are there, but they are. The danger is, is that we focus in on them and get all worked up about them. And we start looking at life like that. We've zoomed in on the wrong thing. Our perspective has got all wrong. And then we start to get anxious. And we start to forget what God is doing. And I wonder for many of us this morning, actually, whether God is saying, that's what you're doing at the moment in life. That's what you need to do. Change your perspective. Does it mean the rat has gone? Well, it's still there. But what do you see when you look at that picture? You see the lake, you see the grass, you see the wall, you see the trees, you see the beauty of God's creation. The rat's still there, but the perspective has changed. Is your life full of worry and anxiety this morning? I won't ask for a show of hands, because all of our hands would go up. Is your life full of anxiety and worry? Do you want to change your perspective this morning? Do you want to change your perspective? Do you want to see things in relation to what Christ has done, giving himself on the cross for you, rising again in glory, and that promise of eternity with him? Do you want God's peace to guard your heart and mind? What does Paul say? the most simple but most complicated application, if you like, that he gives us of any instruction. Simple because we know that it's the answer to so many of our life's concerns. Difficult because how often do we actually put it into practice? I think I probably mentioned this before, but the Puritans, they're sort of famous for wearing very sort of gloomy-looking clothes and having very stern faces on pictures. But one thing they did that was absolutely fantastic, they used to read the scriptures... And they used to say, God, you have promised something here. This passage is a passage full of promise, full of God's promises to us. And then what they used to do was they used to say, pray it into your life. Not say, this now has to happen, but pray it in. God, you have promised that you will bring peace. Well, Lord, I'm going to pray that that will come to pass in my life today. God, you have promised that when I bring my anxiety to you, things will change. My perspectives will change. Can I encourage you this week to go away and do that with this passage? To go and pray it into your life, pray it into your experience, pray it into those pieces of anxiety. We will have time after the service if you want to to do that today, if you want to pray with a member of the prayer team, um, perhaps if there's something that is particularly bothering you. But can I encourage each of us to do that with this passage? Pray it in. Lord, change my perspective. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I want to thank you for the great promises of Scripture. Thank you for that promise that your peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I want to pray for, for those of us who perhaps we are, our perspective today is, is wrong. It's, it's not on you. It's on other things. Lord, Would you challenge us? Would you change us? Would you give us a bigger vision of who you are? 
And Lord, as we come in a few moments and we take bread and wine, we're just reminded that you have given yourself for us. That you have called us by name. That you love each of us. Lord, we thank you. I want to leave just a few moments of quietness. You may need to do business with God right now. Lord, help us to experience the peace that exists within yourself. Lord, would it guard our hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. For his glory, for his sake we ask it. Amen.